start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us today is kaiju expert Nathan Marchand. <laughs> welcome to the show, Nathan. <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. <laughs> kaiju, I don't know if I've quite gotten kaiju expert. I have been called the kaiju academic on a few shows. So. Well, I did a little, little looking up of kaiju before the show, and kaiju is the Japanese word literally for strange beast. Strange beast, yes. And the first kaiju movie we, we know about, we, no print exists, and it's like the giant Buddha, and pretty much The great Buddha arrival. That's yes. the one. Which, uh, unfortunately, uh, most Japanese films pre-World War II have been lost Mm. because of the fire bombings and all kinds of other things that were just destroyed in the war. Very few Japanese, like I said, pre-war Japanese films survive. I've seen a little bit of one pre-war Japanese movie, but... I haven't, didn't watch the whole thing, unfortunately. I feel like I should at some point. However, interestingly, The Great Buddha Arrival got a sequel slash remake slash reboot? I don't know. A few years ago uh, under the same title. So oh, no, it's a, it's a, that was a weird little movie, and I'm still trying to unravel So Kaiju doesn't, <laughs> Kaiju doesn't necessarily mean a uh, skyscraper tall monster. Not at all. Literally, no, it doesn't. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to do what people usually hate. I'm going to argue semantics. Anyway, technically, the proper term for a large monster like your Godzillas, your King Kongs, and all of that, because yes, I do consider Kong to be a kaiju, fight me, <laughs> is Dai Kaiju, which Dai mm. or D A I, if it's written if it's written in with English lettering. That is a Japanese prefix that means large, big, great. So technically, yes, but it's generally applied to large monsters now. And I think that's largely thanks to Pacific Rim. Pacific Mm -hmm. Rim, I honestly think, popularized the word in the English-speaking world. Before that, it was just the inner circles, you know, the actual fandom mm-hmm. that would throw around the word kaiju. Pacific Rim comes out. Suddenly I can say kaiju and everybody knows what I'm talking about. Now, there are related words. I've done a whole presentation on this <laughs> at a couple of conventions like kaijin, which is means strange man, which is more the man, the, you know, the human sized monsters. And then there's seijin, and, which is aliens and just you know, a bunch of different related terms. 
it can get so a little bit confusing. So there's a whole etymology that goes with this. Oh, gosh, yeah. yes. You've, uh, you've met Japanese, okay? Come on. What? <laughs> based, based uh, I assume, largely on what they ate. Oh. <laughs> I have sound effects. <laughs> I need that, so I need my that at my house. Setup. I'm using my podcast setup to talk to you, so there will could be sound effects. <laughs> That's awesome. We should we should have that. I, we, I need to get a soundboard? sound pad tomorrow. Yeah, soundboard. I've 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 got sound. So <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. So Clifford the big red dog kaiju. Oh, or no? good lord! Why? Why would you do this? <laughs> why do I do this? Because I'm a word oh, you can't say on the this, radio. Uh, this has been a point a weird point of contention. <laughs> I say no, but there are people who would – I know people who make surprisingly good arguments in favor of him being a kaiju, but to me, no. <laughs> I think I think the beast has to be larger than any earth, earthly animal, naturally well, occurring animal. Well, Clifford is, and where are you going to find a dog that is fire engine red? Well – it's a cartoon, but uh, you know it's a right. it's artwork. But it's he's like elephant size, and he's blue whale size, but he's not Godzilla size. No, but th- but then does Kong count? Because depending on which movie you look at, mm-hmm. he's different sizes. But I count Kong. Mighty so. Joe Young. I you know, the Mighty Joe Young is a little bit. He's smaller than Kong, but I would still count him. I don't know. Like I said, it's that. Unfortunately, there, the definition of kaiju is not quite as concrete mm-hmm. as you know, as we would like. But that's kind of well, my understanding, not being a native Japanese speaker, just a student of language. <laughs> my understanding is that Japanese, by its nature, is a little bit ambiguous. It's very contextual. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is dependent on tone, like a lot of Asian languages. Sorry, I... Dog break. Yeah. Nemo, come here. Speaking of, <laughs> of the, Clifford. The small dog. Come, Nemo, come here. Yeah. This, this, this guy. He's, Aww. Uh, Welcome to K9 Chat on sci-fi.radio. <laughs> for those who cannot see hey, us, I, we are holding up a uh, small, blonde-haired dog. I've had co-hosts where if we didn't get interrupted by his cat, it was a bad recording day. (laughs) Or at least a weird recording day. Yeah, so um, let's see. We were talking about uh, why Clifford is not not a kaiju. And defining what a kaiju is. And... uh, Do I have to bring up my presentation? (laughs) Contextually. Might as well. But I was talking about, yeah, Japanese, like I said, mm-hmm. the language is a little bit ambiguous, dependent on context. A lot of it, when spoken, is dependent on tone. Mm-hmm. So it can be a little bit difficult to translate, and that's why a lot of words, my understanding, in uh, uh, Japanese words are a little bit ambiguous like that. You know, it's like the word Shin. Like if you see the title Shin Godzilla, the word Shin can be translated multiple ways, all of which could be applicable to that movie. The two most obvious ones are new and true. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably like, considered very clever. Like the real yes. Ghostbusters. No, they weren't. <laughs> and they weren't. But Shin yeah. Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, but they, yeah, but now they've, they've been using that as branding because now mm-hmm. we've had Shin Ultraman and now Shin Kamen Rider. So it's oh, kind yeah. of this it's like loosely the true, connected the anthology true, trilogy. It, yeah. what? It's, it's the true Godzilla. 
Not yeah. not what you've seen before. This is the real one. So this you have to come and watch this new movie because you have never seen Shin Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can't hardly see beyond its shin. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> My day is complete. He does have a soundboard. <laughs> you got a rim shot. There you so, go. So, um, we all know about Godzilla and Mothra and, you know, good, uh, Gamera. Gamera. Godzilla's Gamera. name in Japanese he is, he is, is actually really Gojira. Turtle meat. <laughs> turtle meat. Thank you. I'm just going to play that after the show, and I may still. So, what? Playing what? Oh. Gamera, but which version? The original or the MST3K? Oh, MST3K, obviously. Thank you. <laughs> they they got a pile of Gamera movies on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3001. They have covered six of them. That's a pile. That, that's yep, a lot six of... of them. And only two Godzilla movies, mostly because Toho yelled at them. But <laughs> uh, Funny. Yeah, that's well. funny. Yeah. But they did five on the, on the <laughs> original run of the show. And then they did one more in their latest season. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I'm like, you guys didn't go after the, t- the w- one that actually has connections to my to my on my producer on the Monster Island Film Vault, my podcast. And the other one that is just asking for it because it's basically a clip show. But maybe that's why if they're going to do it, maybe that's why they're saving it for last just so they can make jokes about, hey, hey, didn't we see this before? <laughs> Can anyone bring up the scripts for the old episodes? We could just make the same jokes. <laughs> That's what I would do for that one. So when they play the clips from the other movies, like, oh wait, wait uh, old jokes. Okay, here's here's what we said before in these in these scenes. So those are the so those are the ones that the American audiences know. What are some that the that are popular in Japan that the American audiences do not know? Do not know it for yeah. kaiju? Yeah. Okay. Are there, are there any? Or, or do we? I can name some that are not as well known in the United States that are that are comparatively more obscure. In fact, I would like to actually do a season of my podcast dedicated to them. But the reason why they're not well known is largely because they're not any of the big names, they're not part of big franchises, or they're just weird. <laughs> weird, less and weird. Uh, well, how about, uh, the first one that comes to mind would be, and this has been released here in the U.S., would be Big Man Japan, which I have not seen in years. And I think if I was to watch it now, I would appreciate it more. But it just confused me when I watched it. But it's a mo- it's done like a mockumentary. And for what I can remember, it revolved uh, it revolved around this guy who could transform into this very strange sort of sumo-esque giant dude you know giant, so, just and, and fight dude. and he would fight the just absolutely bizarre monster so it's kind of a send-up of kaiju and mm-hmm. so, uh, ultraman at so the same two guy, time two it, guys in big rubbers in rubber suits fighting among uh uh me- city sets yeah. i guess you know or, or mm-hmm. little bitty forests <laughs> yeah the, the, yeah the, and back in the day they used um uh a, a kind of foaming plaster Mm-hmm. Oh, so to, they can to, knock to make it the buildings. down. So that yeah, yeah. So when they hit them, uh, and and this stuff is used um, uh, up to, up until actually, I think it's still in use. You can still get it. It's used in uh, building insulation for mm. some for some construction. Mm-hmm. And you just fill up the gap between the walls with this foaming plaster, and it foams up, and then it dries that way. And uh, it's fire 
pretty much fireproof and uh, mm-hmm. it makes your buildings a lot quieter. But you don't want to hit it because if you do, it will crumble to dust in an instant, so, mm-hmm. which makes it very, very good for making miniature buildings for Godzilla to stomp on. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. you can th- you can thank A.G. Subaraya for that. He was a master of that sort of stuff. Mm. Master of materials. Mm-hmm. So he was he was the model maker that made a lot of the yes. uh, miniature buildings and, and yes. sets. And, yeah, I he was uh, he was a wizard, and he also went on to form his own production company and mm-hmm. uh, called Zubarai yeah. Productions, and which he used to create, among other things, Ultramap. Ah, uh-huh. so basically, to accomplish in the United States what Eiji Zubarai did in Japan, you would have had to have created both Godzilla and King Kong. So, uh. So this this whole trope uh, of giant people fighting in and de- demolishing Tokyo that uh, as, as I assume has to be rebuilt about every three months because of this. Uh, <laughs> Depends on the project. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, Depends on- it, it's always it's always Tokyo that's threatened. It's never any place else. Well, that's what they tell uh, us. We don't not know always. What it is. Not always. Sometimes it's a different city in Japan. Sometimes they do go <laughs> international. There are there are foreign cities in several Godzilla films. There's one where it all, and now mind you, it only happens briefly mm-hmm. where Godzilla does attack Hong Kong mm-hmm. for a moment. Mm-hmm. There's also been ones where even in Japanese movies where he attacks New York. Kong is there saying, stay in your own lane. (laughs) (laughs) There was a piece of fan art about that right after Godzilla versus Kong was announced that had Kong sitting at the top of an Empire State building. And then Godzilla was down there at the bottom. He's got a tree in his hand. And the caption just says, it was 50 years ago, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That, yeah. So, but uh, to go back to the original question, because um, I was trying to look up a list. Uh, I've been compiling titles uh, you know, that of independent movies from Japan, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm looking over some of the ones you can. Uh, thanks to the to SRS Cinema, a lot of these are finally getting released over here. Mm. So, the, oh, Hell from Beyond the Fog. That is an amazing one. Hell, That's an amazing one. From Beyond. Hell from Beyond the Fog. Howl from Beyond the Fog? Howl. Howl. Like howl at the moon. Howl. Like howl. Howl's Moving Castle. Howl like howl's Moving from Castle. Beyond yeah, the howl fog. from Beyond the Fog. What's cool about that one is that it's all done with puppets. Puppets? Wow. Yeah. I mean, the human characters are puppets. The monster is a, is a guy in a suit for a little bit, but also a puppet. Like It is it is a fascinating little movie. I mentioned... I mentioned the Great Buddha Arrival, the new one. And then you have a fellow named Shinpei Hayashio who made a whole trilogy of independent kaiju films. You have Rego, it's Rego, Raiga, and <laughs> Raiga versus Oga. Mm-hmm. And they're interesting little movies. Rego is my personal favorite of the three because it actually takes place during World War II and Ooh. is on the, uh, the Yamato, which was an actual Japanese battleship, like the mm-hmm. most important battleship in the Japanese Navy during World War II, and they're trying to fight the Allies while also being accosted by a sea monster. That's That sounds fun. <laughs> uh-huh. That sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. So, you know, those are just, you know, just a few titles that I would mm-hmm. recommend, you know, if you want to look up some more obscure stuff. And then you also have stuff that from 
t- studios outside of your Toho and your Daie, which were the ones who made Godzilla and Gamera, respectively. So you had like Gap of the Trifibia Monster, X from Outer Space. Those were made by different studios. You're nodding your heads like you know what I'm talking about. No, no we're looking at each other. Uh, uh, what? And, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't we ever hear of these? Right. Well, what's a trifibia? It's got three flippers. I don't know. Well, and the other thing yeah, is, it's uh, it's a. Well, let me let me d- double check to make sure. But it's trifibian because it's part bird, part amphibian, and a and land animal. Uh, it's it's clumsy in earth, air, or sky. Yeah. Uh, well, sea, anyway, sea air and, uh, it's a duck. It's a duck. I can sit here for a while trying to figure it it all out. It can move on. I'm sorry. Earth or water. It's a duck. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's a duck. Yeah, it's a duck. It it looks kind of like a duck. Just, yeah, just, I, I, uh, yeah, I'll I'll let you off easy on that joke. Just send me the bill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's two trombones I've gotten on this show so far. (laughs) I'm going to try for three. I think I need one like at home. Follow you around. So how yeah. how uh, how long have kaiju been part of the Japanese um, popular culture landscape? Uh, it they technically existed, you could say, in the '30s, because there were, believe it or not, a couple of unofficial King Kong movies made in Japan in the 30s, but they are lost, like I said. Mm -hmm. But the official beginning would be 1954 with the original Godzilla. Was it part of the lore before the movies? There was stuff in it that definitely paved the way for kaiju in things like Japanese legend and folklore, but Kaiju, as we understand them, I would argue, really starts with the original King Kong in 1933. And then you had another American example with Beast in 20,000 Fathoms, which was famously the first movie where Ray Harryhausen was credited with doing all of the special effects. That was 1953. Both of those influenced the creation of Godzilla. But the original Godzilla created... Like I said, the tropes and the genre, most of them anyway, as we understand it. It's arguable that Godzilla could only have come from Japan. I agree with you. If you you want to see what I think Americans would have made if they were making a quote-unquote Godzilla film, it it would be Beast in 20,000 Fathoms, which is a a good movie. I Mm -hmm. won't deny that. It is a good movie, but... You know, that's what you would have gotten. It just, yeah, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms does not have the signature uh, um, presence that uh, Gojira has. Uh, no, because it Because the Japanese have always respected their giant monsters by giving them souls. Mm-hmm. All- Actually, I, I wrote an article for, I'm a... I'm representing it right now. Sorry, I'm making noise with the microphone, but, you know, uh, Kaijurama Magazine... I'm their editor and one of the staff writers. And mm-hmm. so I wrote an article for them that actually explained the differences between, um, large, generally speaking, American and Japanese kaiju films. One of which being that, as you put it, Japanese kaiju tend to have quote unquote souls, whereas American kaiju, generally speaking, are more naturalistic. Yeah, they're just mindless forces of nature. Without intent, purpose, or 
feel or well their purposes are very straightforward and like as a naturalistic mm-hmm. they need food mm-hmm. they they're they want to reproduce they are returning to like in basement 20,000 fathoms you know it's going back to its original environment not knowing it's all changed in the millions of years it's been asleep mm-hmm. you know it's stuff that's very straightforward like that whereas japanese kaiju it's a little bit more complicated than that so the beast from 20,000 fathoms came from 20,000 fathoms below the sea and in pacific rim we saw that theme repeated the monsters came from a chasm far below the the ocean mm-hmm. I think there well, was a because factor the ocean... of weird dimensions, though. Wasn't well, it? yeah, yeah, but it's a variation on the on the you know the classic theme about how the 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 sea, the ocean, is large and all encompassing and mysterious, <laughs> and you don't know what's down there. We still don't quite know in our age of scientific advancement, but it's a very primordial mythic thing. That's why monsters came from the ocean, came from the sea. Yes, monsters from the deep. And Japan, it, that's particularly potent because they're an island nation. Oh, yeah. They're surrounded by water. And they're it's, constant. It's an everyday f- fact of life for everybody who lives there. I remember reading about the uh, original Godzilla film uh, mm-hmm. where they had, they had hired American actors to be in it. Yes. Now, uh, they... That was Godzilla King of the Monsters 1956, not to be confused with the 2019 film. Mm-hmm. And uh, this the Raymond Ch- Raymond Burr Raymond Burr, Raymond Burr. standing yeah, around most notably. Going, yes, I see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember the name of his character? Not a bit of it. The name of his character is funny now. Steve Martin. Oh dear, oh, Steve <laughs> it Martin wasn't funny then. It was he? Well, I guess he was a wild and crazy guy. No, no. he was well, the opposite. What's, what's funny is thirty years <laughs> later, Toho rebooted Godzilla. And then in Japan, it's called Return of Godzilla. And then, of all people, Roger Corman and New World Pictures got their mitts on it and gave it the same sort of treatment. They re-edited it. They filmed new footage and inserted it, just like with King mm-hmm. of the Monsters 56. And I'm not particularly fond of that version. However, it does have Raymond Burr, 1980s Raymond Burr, showing up, reprising his role from the 1956 movie. And he's the only person who's trying to take it seriously and give it any gravitas. And in that one, they never refer to him by his full name. That's hilarious. It's either just Steve or Mr. Martin. <laughs> That's great. Now, I understand that... Uh, uh, who, who, who directed the original Godzilla Ishiro movie? Honda. Ah, Ishiro Honda uh, had originally wanted um, Godzilla to be referred to by his full name which was Irving Edward Godzilla. But he found well, out... There's your third he one. Found out, no, 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 save, save no, it, save, save it. Save it, because here it comes. Oh, 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 oh. Because they, they had to shorten it, because he found out that it didn't work on camera, which is why uh, every time a Japanese villager turns around and points out uh, the, the uh, kaiju... He uses just uses his initials, i.e. Godzilla. I.e. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Number no. three of the show. That is. This you're, is my life now. You're working hard on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just the the idea that uh, uh, you know they would throw Raymond Burr in there. 
Well, he was available, you know, and he was a face people, you know, had seen, you know. He was Actually, well this was he was in this pre Perry Mason. Yeah, oh, that's well, right. Then the they most could get him cheap. The thing he had been in up to this point was Rear Window. Oh, that was good though. Yeah, it was. I know. I've seen it. He was the uh, he was the villain in mm-hmm. Rear Window. So yeah. he had worked with Hitchcock, but that he, didn't he necessarily translate. The, he hadn't gotten into... the part of Perry Mason yet. Yeah, that didn't necessarily translate to uh, a known face in Japan at the time, though. No, but you got to remember that version was made for the American audience. It was shown in Japan later, oh, but it was made okay. for the American audience. So they wanted that, an American. Yeah, I understand. The original Godzilla has two versions. There's the 1954 version with no Raymond Burr, only Japanese actors, and then there's King of the Monsters, which was released in the United States in 1956, where they cut out, I think, about. 30 minutes of footage and then inserted 20 minutes of new footage, most of it, including Raymond Burr, or he's voicing over a lot of the Japanese scenes so they could save money on dubbing. It was such a mishmash as well. I mean, some of the effects were wonderful and some of them were just, you look at it and you go, my God, this is, this boat is a toy boat in somebody's bathtub. (laughs) It's supposed to be a tugboat, but it, it clearly... It's it's far too small for the scene to look good on water. Well, uh, that's just it's a different it's a difference in cultural sensibilities. The Japanese aren't bothered by that sort of stuff like Americans are. And it goes back to the fact that the Japanese are much less interested in realism. And it goes it goes also goes back to a lot of theater and performance arts that that are very popular there that are more exaggerated kabuki being mm-hmm. being an example and then there's oh, trying to remember the name of it the because it factors into that one i mentioned how from beyond the fog oh because it, it's a it's a puppet theater i can't remember the name is escaping me right now i really but because, have to look that one up yeah you know, now i'm gonna have to here i'm gonna i'm gonna do it live anyway go well you do that it's a willing suspension of disbelief certainly yeah yeah, so they're just not looking for Bunraku, that's what it's called. Bunraku. Oh, okay. oh, Bunraku. Yes. Yes. Bunraku, yeah. That is a so, style of puppetry where the the puppeteers are visible on stage, usually yes. dressed in black, manipulating puppets that are, that are nearly their size. Yes. Yeah. So they're used to that sort of stuff so it doesn't bother them whereas Americans are more are more interested in realism and stuff that looks quote unquote convincing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's a bit overrated. Not to say that there isn't bad Japanese special effects. The, the word for it is tokusatsu. I've seen bad tokusatsu. I've seen a lot of bad tokusatsu. But <laughs> yeah, it's just like there's bad examples of realistic special effects, too. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. It's also a little bit of a double standard. People made fun of Japanese films using men in rubber suits to do all of these things. They called it cheap. They called it low quality. But then Rick Baker puts on a really nice-looking gorilla suit for the 1976 remake of King Kong, and it gets nominated for an Academy Award. You figure that out. <laughs> right. Well, it's... it's. Uh... I think that was overcompensating for his not winning for 2001. But, <laughs> you know, one gorilla, one, one primate or another, you know? <laughs> Yeah. How did Planet of the Apes beat beat 2001 for special uh, effects? Well, I, for um, a costume, you know. Well, because the what the hell? Because the uh, <laughs> the Academy 
saw that opening sequence in 2001 and thought that they were looking at real apes because the, the, the makeup effects were that good. They did not believe they were humans. And that's why they didn't win. Because it was mm. that good. It's like um, uh, on uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first film. Uh, I w worked at the studio that did that. Uh, oh, Walden Media? No, no, not Walden Media. Rhythm and Hues. The, the, oh, the, you're the, talking about the, the, the effect. The live action one. Oh, okay. From, I think, 2000, I think. Th 2005. 2005. Uh, we had footage of uh, one of the... One of the uh, cast, one of the little girls, um, uh, walking on the street in front of the studio. And next to her was Aslan, the lion. You know, this massive lion. In a and, size that lions do not actually achieve in, in life. Yeah, this is a much bigger lion than a normal lion. Anyway, and it was it was majestic and his hair was flowing in the wind and the whole thing. And, you know, not not. Not overt, you know, just enough to make him look really nice. Mm -hmm. And we showed it to the executive producer. And uh, our effects coordinator got an earful for about half an hour on why, in God's name, we would endanger a little girl like that by putting her on the street with a lion with no attendant. <laughs> because they, too, did not realize that there was no lion. <laughs> Did anybody tell them that, like, there there are no such things as centaurs and you know, <laughs> satyrs? Well, they hadn't they hadn't seen any of that stuff yet. Oh, okay. Just the lion. Like, they, we first had to prove we could do Aslan. I see. Oh, so it's like a proof of concept. Yeah, because is, is Aslan a kaiju? Hmm. No. <laughs> that's that's a can of worms I'm not willing to open. And I love kaiju, and I love Chronicles of Narnia. So. <laughs> or at least a big can of cat food. <laughs> yeah, the there there's just the there's so much uh there's so much in Japanese culture that uh that leads you to expressions like kaiju. Mm -hmm. Um all of the You're living tales and you're living in a place where one tsunami takes out your whole town. Mm -hmm. The giant yeah, well, things in life will get you. Right. And although what made Godzilla what he is, and, and this was a big influence, especially in the 50s and 60s for Kaiju, was the shared trauma of the nuclear bombs and really just the entire war, because you had the fire bombings before the uh, before the nuclear bombings. But the nuclear bombings are uniquely Japanese. They are the only country. Let's hope it stays this way. Who's ever had nukes dropped on it? Yeah. And. You can tell um, exactly how far along in their history of cinema, the, of their cinema that you are. Let me start that again. You can tell how far along you are in the history of their cinema by how they treat the cataclysmic event in the film. And the cataclysmic event is very frequently a nuclear blast that takes out mm -hmm. a whole town. You see it repeatedly in anime. You see it in uh, you see it in a lot of their live action cinema. Well, it was mm -hmm. still living memory. At the yeah, time. it's still it's, living memory. Was... Right. Yeah. But it's like the... I said, particularly in the fifties and sixties, because you still had that wartime generation mm -hmm. who, for, for them, it was a very 
it was still a very vivid memory. Ishiro Honda, who directed the original Godzilla and a bunch of the sequels and a lot of other science fiction films for Toho, although he did a lot of other kinds of things. They just haven't been released over here. And he did, unfortunately, by the 60s, got a little pigeonholed as you know, the science fiction director. But he actually visited, I believe it was Hiroshima after the bombing. Mm. and Or at least he witnessed what it looked like after the bombing and it stuck with him for it's, the rest of his life. It, that is a horrific vision to carry. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh... and, but that imagery is reflected in the, the original film. And if mm-hmm. you look at some of his other movies, they, if they don't, they either deal at least somewhat with the bomb or with radiation or just with consequences of the war in one form or another. I just, I was just at G fest last weekend and I did a, panel presentation with my friend Daniel DeMana of the Godzilla Novelization Project on a movie called Atragon from mm. 1963 that is not so much about the nuclear bombings, but it's about post-war Japan and how it has moved on. But then there's this guy, this very na- like ultra-nationalistic soldier who has this extremely like 20,000 leagues. This is <laughs> making Captain Emo jealous flying submarine that they need to help them basically fight an undersea kingdom that is trying to invade the surface world. And he keeps saying no, because it's only for Japan. Mm -hmm. And the main conflict is them trying to convince him to help them because he keeps saying no. I don't know where you're going. Yeah. There, there are elements of their national psychology that, uh, that embrace absolutes in nature Mm -hmm. and oblivion is one of those absolutes. And Mm -hmm. the atom bomb, personifies that as nothing else can Mm -hmm. well and then there's also a really interesting one that gets kind of (laughs) wild but it's called uh, the american title for it is frankenstein conquers the world but it actually starts in hiroshima right before the bomb gets dropped wow now the the bombing is not depicted but they show everything leading up to it but its wild concept is that, like I said, it's called Frankenstein Conquers the World. So it's the Frank, the, the heart of the Frankenstein monster. And it was smuggled into Japan by Germans during World War II to be, to, and given to the Japanese who were going to use it to make invincible soldiers. Uh, well, um... And then it actually – so it's – but then, you know, this is just the prologue to the movie. And then it shows these Japanese doctors who are about ready to operate on this heart. In Hiroshima, and then the bomb gets dropped. Fast forward 20 years, and that heart has grown into a feral child and then eventually grows into a kaiju. Wow. Well, there's a concept. It's a wild movie. Yeah, it sounds sounds like it. I think yeah, that it must have influenced but, you know, um, but as wild as it is, the fact that it even dared to talk about these things, because that was st- kind of taboo. It's still it's kind of it's a little less taboo now, but it was definitely taboo back then. So it was it was treading a line there. And I respect it quite a bit. That was also a Shira Honda. So I respect it for doing that. Very inventive concept, actually. You know, the the title sounds cheesy, but. Uh, well, that was the American title. Yeah, American oh, yeah. Titles, man. You know, they're. It was the American title. The Japanese title, if I remember correctly, was Frankenstein versus Baragon. Is that there's another monster in it named Baragon? I think that makes even less sense. You know, yeah. I mean, just Frankenstein because, conquers just, the world is just more, well, just, just sounds more fun. I, I, I don't know. I, it's 
It's more, like more so on the nose. It looks more, it sounds like more uh, 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 a label that you put on a box when you inventory the film <laughs> than the film's title. You know, it's not it's not inspiring as a motion picture title. <laughs> I mean, it's still better than this was another movie I did a panel presentation on at G Fest over the weekend. There is one of my favorite. Actually, it's just one of my favorite horror movies. It's called Matango, which is this very artsy movie that involves oh, you know, this, uh, a crew of, shall we say, despicable rich people who, who get marooned on an island. And then these mushroom creatures start messing with them. Hmm. Well, like it, and the, 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 those mushrooms are called the Matango. It's a nice sounding title. When it got brought to the U.S., they retitled it Attack of the Mushroom People, which is... Descriptive. There's no question what it is. Yeah, but, but it's inc- but it sounds like a really bad B movie, and it is it's, far from schlocky. It sounds <laughs> it sounds artless and unfortunate. Yeah, that it, that it got that title. That it got that title. It sounds like something Roger Corman would do, and it is definitely it is way better than that. Way, 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 way better than that. Yeah, destroy all planets. No planets. That was a Gamera movie. It was a Gamera movie, and it had n- there were no planets being destroyed. It had nothing. to Yeah, do with but it. Th- they did that because they were playing off of destroy all monsters. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Toho. yeah. And that's the clip show, isn't it? That's the one with the clips from mm-hmm. the other movies. Destroy all monsters. No, no, all planets. Destroy all planets. Am I misremembering? See, I I don't know which I don't know which of the. Alternate titles are for which Gamera movies, unfortunately. That, I think that, but if I remember correctly, that was for one of the 60s ones. It wasn't the clip show. Yeah, that's pretty much The one that I was saw. the clip show was from 1980 and it was called Gamera Super Monster or Super Monster Gamera. I, I've seen it written out both ways. Gam- Gamera was. That one also had a barely lawsuit free Star Destroyer. And three hot chicks in spandex because it's also a superhero movie. Right. <laughs> oh boy! What if three it was a professional chicks. wrestler in real life? <laughs> I, I, I thought you know usually it's like two hot chicks and they're twins and they're tiny. <laughs> uh, what I mean, those are those are Mothra's priestesses, the Shopajin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, did Gamera I mention was... I'm a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> this Welcome is, this to is NPR Nerd Powered Radio. <laughs> We joke about that, but uh, we're we're almost entirely uh, supported by our patrons on Patreon. And so we are nerd powered. Yeah, we are nerd powered, and we've been going for then I, fourteen years my, this way. Uh, then that means my podcast, The Monster Island Phone Vault. Well, one of them anyway. I have several, but that one's nerd powered because I also have a Patreon for it. Oh, that's excellent. Oh, and tell us your Patreon address. She said the switching Patreon over cleverly. Address. Uh, you can yeah, just go on Patreon and search for the Monster Island Film Vault, if I remember correctly. I don't know what the URL is offhand, but you can find the Monster Island Film Vault on there. Awesome. We'll make we'll make sure and post that on the uh, episode page. Uh, I'll be sure to send you the URL then. But yes, yeah, definitely. I and I have I have awesome, very generous patrons. In fact, there was one who surprised me. He just really loved the show, and one of the tiers that I offer is that you can actually be on the show. And he decided to jump over that and go straight to the joke tier and give me more money than he really should have. But I'm not going to say no. <laughs> he just I saw him actually at G-Fest over the weekend and he did nothing but tell me how much he loved me and the show. So that's, you know, that's great. I'm not going to say great. I'm not going to say no. 
Well, and we're here to celebrate the the nerdliness in all of us, really. You know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they they want to join us and be part of it, which yeah. is you know why we keep doing it. Yeah. So um, we love what we love, and we're mm-hmm. not ashamed of it. If that makes me a yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, and I, it's moments like that that remind me why I do this. I mean, I started the show because I was a fan of this stuff, and I wanted to bridge the gap between you know the the non Japanese audience, the modern non Japanese audience, and these movies. Because the more you understand, it's like when you took a lit, when we take lit classes, the more you understand the context in which a work was created, the better you understand it, and the more you appreciate it. Which is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to do. With the the podcast, I'm also being very very entertaining with it because it it's as it's gone on, it has developed audio drama segments, so it gives me a chance to flex my creative writing muscles too. And that's there's a whole story behind how that happened. But just the feedback that I have gotten from people, whether whether they're patrons or not, like the patrons are the ones who are giving me money. That's how much they appreciate it. But for me, the most satisfying ones is when. I get you know, messages from people saying, I, I, I want to get into podcasting because I listened to your show. I was going through a hard time and I listened to your show and it helped remind me that I wasn't alone in the world when it came to liking this stuff. Or there for one of the there was a teenage girl, maybe 15, I think she's here, local here in Fort Wayne. And I met her at a convention. I was doing a panel presentation. It was up in the south of the Mishawaka area. Chit-chatted with her, and I think it was her brother and her dad were there to see the panel. And they mentioned they were from Fort Wayne, so we bonded a little bit over that. And then I posted in a Facebook group that we happened to be in that, hey, I have this role that I need people to audition for on this podcast, and she wanted to audition so she was one of a couple girls who auditioned for this part. She didn't get that one, but I was impressed enough with what she did that I wanted to give her another chance. So then I looked at an upcoming script and noticed that I had a character who didn't – she was acknowledged as being there, but she didn't have lines written. So I revised the script so the character actually had lines, sent it to her. She knocked it out of the park. And so you know, I put the I published the episode and then – she did a live reaction live stream because she live streams on YouTube <laughs> nice. to that segment to hear herself and she, this, the joy that that she was exuding during that whole stream because she got to do something this cool in her mind. You know, and that's what that's that was one of those moments where like this is why I do what I do, because it makes people it gives people opportunities to do things and be happy like this. Yeah. And I, I loved her what she did so much. I added that character into another episode <laughs> that actually just got published last week. Nice. Center of the lines, like here you go, you get to be Bonnie the barmaid again. You know that. Was- <laughs> cool. That's cool. She can can still can't buy a legal drink for years. <laughs> <laughs> she was playing older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. She was playing older. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to Nathan Marchand. Uh, he is the kaiju academic, and I can't remember what they'll what uh, the host of the Monster Island Film Vault and other podcasts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Event Horizon. If you would like to be a regular on the show, I think that would be fun. 
If we ever need a kaiju academic expert, someone to explain it to <laughs> you us. You know, or anything having to do with Japanese Japanese crossover culture discussions and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because I also like anime. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and manga, for that matter. But yeah, I, I, would, I love guesting on other people's podcasts, so I'd be more than happy to do it. And you're, you'll have a couple of opportunities because we have... Godzilla minus one that's going to be releasing in the states December first. Mm-hmm. That just got announced, and everybody in the kaiju community flipped out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we have a new MonsterVerse film coming out next March. Hopefully, mm-hmm. depends. I guess it depends on how the whole Hollywood strike thing shakes out. But yeah, <laughs> but it's slated to come out next March. Godzilla X Kong. I don't know how you're supposed to say that. X- Godzilla X Kong, the new empire. <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong or against Kong, maybe? Against Kong, cross. I've also in, cross, I've seen some Japanese titles Kong. where the X is supposed to be pronounced cross. I'm like, okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that all sounds great. A Godzilla minus one? Mm-hmm. It's, what do you, he hops out on one leg or what's, what's the deal? <laughs> well... Uh, I think it's supposed to be something thematically related. If you watch uh, the trailer, okay. they because it takes place in occupation era Japan, so right after the war, and it starts up by saying that the war reduced Japan to zero, as in nothing, mm-hmm. and now it's going to minus. So the idea being that Japan was reduced to nothing in the war, and now Godzilla's showing up and basically kicking them while they're down. <laughs> That that actually makes sense. Otherwise, yeah, I thought yeah. it, I thought he was having a bad breakup. <laughs> There's yeah, that too. You know, one. we see we see you know um, his partner's missing. His that's right. Yeah, you know, we see Godzilla with a you know the baby Godzilla with with Minya. We never yeah. see a mate. <laughs> that's because he just adopts the the goobers. Oh well, <laughs> he's had know. several he's had several babies over the years and all he does is adopt the goobers he's their uncle <laughs> quotes yeah. uncle yeah i i'm surprised no one has tried to give godzilla a mate in a movie hmm i've seen some fan fiction that tries to do that but i'm it's amazed just the they've visuals never actually involved of uh, godzilla doing things with his mate is just um i don't know it's maybe more than maybe more than 12 year olds should be watching <laughs> They did it once for Kong. Oh, I suppose. That was a weird movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to Nathan Marchand. Thank you again for joining us on this week's episode of The Event uh, Horizon. You're always welcome back. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You have been listening to episode 263 of Sci-Fi.Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. Our guest this evening has been Nathan Marchand, the kaiju academic and host of the Monster Island Film Vault podcast, among others, and author of 10 fantasy and nonfiction books and counting. This episode will air again tomorrow, July 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and again on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you'll be able to download this episode as a podcast from iTunes, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and from our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-Fi.Radio is listener-supported sci-fi geek culture radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. If you enjoy programming like what you just heard... 
please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and give generously. At any point, we are about six weeks from oblivion, so your donation counts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was sci-fi illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. The captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. Sci-Fi.Radio's The Event Horizon is copyright 2023 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>